welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Mike. And this is our review of Ready Player One, starring Ty Sheridan, Olivia Cook, Lena Waithe, Ben Mendelsohn, T.J. Miller, Simon Pegg, and Mark Rylance. Based on the book by Ernest Cline, directed by Steven Spielberg, released in 2018 on a $175 million budget, grossed $582 million plus at the box office worldwide. Massive hit. First off, though, Mike, welcome back to Film Strip. Tell folks about uh, what you've got going on over at Amateur Art Tours. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Uh, it's, like I think I say it every single time we talk. It's always a pleasure talking movies with you and coming on Film Strip. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite film podcasts to listen to. Uh, yeah, Amateur Art Tours. We got. Uh, we're still trying to pump out some uh, movie reviews. Brian and I are still working on the. Uh, it may not seem like it for anyone that listens. The Star Wars D and D adventure. Um, kind of gone a little different track with that just because it takes so long to edit and just getting together. So I think I'm just going to condense them and just release it all in one, just like Netflix is a data dump, maybe do a season or something like take a break. But uh, yeah, it's, we're still just trying to pump out episodes. I'm trying to get uh, some special guests on, whether it be fellow podcasters, filmmakers, uh, animators. I'm literally just sending out mass emails and saying, hey, would you like to come on to my amateur podcast? Uh, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, we're just, that's, we're just trying to get some content out, free content for anyone listening. Yeah, absolutely. Highly recommend uh, checking out Amateur Art Tours. And not just because I've been on the show a bunch of times, but uh, it's always an interesting discussion, whoever you have on and stuff. And glad to have you back for this one, man. This one's been on my list uh, really since 2018 of wanting to do it. And curious to hear your background with this material, the book and the movie. Yeah, uh, the answer is none. Uh, I didn't read the book I, I i when did the book come out 2011 is yeah, that something something like that yeah i can't remember exactly when it came out but uh, yeah, yeah so i remember i mean i don't remember when the book came out but i remember when it was like kind of making its or its rounds and like the book circuit and to me it just seemed like one of those typical te- like dystopian dystopian teenagers are the heroes yeah. type like young adult novels and mm-hmm. this one's just focused on video games I, I wasn't interested in it. Um, I guess I was in high school at the time. I mean, I'm not really a huge gamer. Uh, I mean, I play video games, but I'm more of a single player story driven type guy. I'll, you know, I'll play Grand Theft Auto and like mess around with my buddies. And that's pretty much it. You know, I, I, I play Minecraft, but, but other than that, you know, I'm not into online gaming i never really was i'm just more the story uh the 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 first person story part of it so this didn't really pique my interest and then when the movie was announced in like 2017 2018 i also had really no interest in seeing it but i think that was also mostly due to the director steven spielberg um i have a i have a very love-hate relationship with him now and I just wasn't interested at all in seeing this movie. It's like it's it's almost the inverse, you know. They say Sp- Steven Spielberg has to try and get this box office draw, and I'm sure a lot of people saw the movie because of Spielberg's name, and it it was the polar opposite for me. I was like, I don't even want to. I have no interest in seeing this because he's attached to it. 
That is really interesting, especially on Spielberg, because he's so revered and especially on film Twitter here and everything. So, man, not yeah, good luck. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, so I guess I'll, I guess I'll explain that a little bit more because that like there are a few things that I want to discuss and, and Spielberg is one of them. So so I was listening to a podcast right around the time this movie was coming out. And I won't forget this because this is kind of when these ideas of uh, not not I don't hate Spielberg. He's just. I, he's just not the same director that he was. And in the podcast, they were discussing this movie and I guess it was getting mixed reviews. And the host had said, you know what? I live in an age where Steven Spielberg is still making movies. And I like one day he's going to be gone and I want to still see his movies. They're still magical to me. That's what this guy said. And I was like, you know what? Like everyone has their opinion. That's fine. But you know, I, Spielberg to me kind of is just the old man yelling in the sky for the most part, uh, you know, and, and I'll get into that, especially throughout this as well. Um, but, you know, when he when when that podcast host made that statement, I'm like, this, this isn't Spielberg of the 70s, 80s, 90s, even early 2000s. You know, this isn't and that's four decades of of, of a filmography. You know, this isn't the Spielberg that made Jaws. This isn't the Spielberg that made E.T., Indiana Jones, uh, Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List, or shit, even um, uh, Catch Me If You Can, a little bit more contemporary. But to me, Spielberg now, he, and he can do whatever he wants. He's earned that right. But I just feel like his most recent filmography is just this this old man that is making just very... They're not they're not magical movies, you know. I think of the post, for instance, like that movie. To me, I was just like, okay, I watched it because I was like, this looks kind of dumb. And I remember watching it like this is a very competently made movie, but it's not interesting. And I've already forgotten about the movie. I think the only movie that fits that sentiment is Lincoln. I think that very matured, slow paced. Uh, older filmmaker like that subject matter fits this but it's weird when you see Lincoln and then it, now he's making Ready Player One this action extravaganza with I think a medium that he doesn't understand uh, in referring to animation specifically and video games and virtual reality this is a medium that I don't think he understands and we'll get into that if he does understand it and the the, the cherry on top that I think was the final straw for me is Spielberg making actively campaigning that streaming services, especially content ex like exclusively on streaming services, not theatrically run, should not be nominated for Oscars or any awards. And that, to me, is frustrating. And I'm going to swear, a complete bullshit, you know. And we, I mean, and it's not that the awards mean anything. Like, we could have a whole podcast episode about how meaningless the Oscars are, like the Golden Globes, like any of these. It's just, it's just, you know, grab assing and brown nosing from these celebrities and just saying how great they are and virtue signaling. But, I, but now, like, this, this media, so it means nothing. But I just think the idea that you're going to shun this, this, the new evolution of film consumption and film distribution and especially from a dude that you know in like you can't make movies like you did in the 70s and 80s anymore like you can't just get a small loan of 10 million dollars and make this and make this like blockbuster hit now like that's well now with vod streaming services you can do that you know these 
these these voices of minority filmmakers, women filmmakers, these stories of like the uh, LGBTQ community, like communities and voices that were were no were lacking in film are getting a voice in these VOD streaming services. And for Spielberg to come up and say, no, 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 like th- there's not we have to preserve the theatrical experience. These, you know, the David Lynch, all oh, they're watching it on their phones. It's awful, uh, which kernel of truth. But also I, I'm on the other side of that. It's just it just feels like an old man yelling at the sky, yelling at clouds, and it's frustrating. And 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 especially from a filmmaker that had left such a mark on cinema that now he's going this. No, no, no. We we're going to restrict this. You have to be. You have to play the game. You have to brown nose two executives. You have to compromise your vision if you want to get a movie made. And VOD streaming services. Don't, aren't allowing that like they're giving the voice to filmmakers so that's my long-winded tangent on steven spielberg before we get into this movie but i think it adds context to how i was feeling going into this movie well i can understand that too and i will i will say this enough about spielberg that he's got such an oeuvre that it's not like it's bereft of misses like he's done some stuff that's not enjoyable it's not fun to watch and it doesn't hold up and i mean he's he's had misfires in between you know the mega hits that he's done and then the you know quote important films that he's made and stuff like that i think schindler's list is like the apex of his stuff and then after that everything else has been doing stuff that he wants because let's face it this guy doesn't have to do this movie either i think he did this for two reasons and this is just you know not even beyond what he said in press and stuff is that this owes so much to the movies that he made and the the era he came through and ernest klein will not deny that at all that that's a huge impact on just his imagination is what spielberg brought to uh you know the cinemas that, and that he grew up in and i think it is an older man trying to relate to the younger generation it kind of like you know your grandpa gets an iphone and decides teach me how to do that text wizard and kids you know it's a little bit of that i'll disagree just a little bit that he doesn't understand the medium because george lucas gets a lot of credit for the work that ilm has done through the years and his groundbreaking special effects and really what george did was he gave creators space to work in and budget and all that kind of stuff but Steven is somebody who understands that and has always understood visual effects and medium. And he really geeked out on the idea of, you know, doing what his buddy Zemeckis has turned into his own art form of mocap and matching it with digital compositing and, and figuring out how to do that. Like he would walk around with a, you know, the, the dot headset in the digital room, trying to figure out what the set was supposed to look like and telling the animators got to make sure this is here and this is here. So I, I disagree with a little bit. That he didn't know what he was doing in the format because I think he is a genius filmmaker and I applaud him for trying to stretch and do things that are new. Now his opinions about who should get awards and all that stuff. We'll come on amateur art tours and have that conversation. That would be a fun <laughs> one sometime. But as far as for this movie, I, I got to be honest with you. I heard about this book when it was coming out too. And I like, was like, eh, I, at that point, like I had done hunger games and had seen the disaster that the insurgent series was. And I was just kind of done with dystopian teenage literature. I mean, one, I'm way older for it, but it can still be fun, but I was just sort of over that. And I, I didn't want to hear about it. And I'm not a big gamer either. I mean, I grew up playing Atari and Nintendo, and then I kind of skipped a couple generations and, you know, PlayStation. I still have a PlayStation 3, so I'm several generations behind now. I, I have PlayStation to, 2 sitting yes, right there. I see it from the, where the greatest recording. console ever invented. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't do a lot. I play a lot of sports games, you know, with just to kill some time here and there. 
But I understand the culture is big and I understand what Ernest Klein was really getting into was more pop culture. This plays off like a big gaming thing because it is a game format and he used the idea of virtual reality as an escape uh, and stuff. And we'll talk about how that worked, but I didn't pay attention to this book or anything, but I found out Spielberg was making this movie. And I said, okay, I'm interested because I want to see what a 70 year old has to say about Gen X pop culture but for Gen Z and millennials, like that's, that's an interesting cross section of, you know, stuff you're trying to hit there uh, because Klein's my age. He, you know, he grew when I did. And so before the movie came out, I went and bought the book and said, I, I usually don't do that. I'm like, nah, I'll read it. If you know, I'm interested enough after watching the movie, but I said, no, I'm going to make myself read this book before I watch this thing, because I, I, from what I know about it, it'll help me get into it a little bit more because I don't keep up with virtual reality and technology, all that kind of system. This is something I think. So I read this book and I'll be honest with you, Mike, I chewed through it in like a day and a half. You know, I just sat down and I did about half of it one night and half of it the next. And there's some of it that's pretty interesting. And there's some of it that's just rancid. And, and, I, and I, I remember thinking to myself, how are they going to realize this? on the screen and to his credit, Ernest Klein admitted when they optioned the movie, cause they gave him like first pass at a script or whatever. Um, after somebody else had done, a, done a work on it. Um, he said, you're going to have to totally change the challenges because what I wrote in the book is, is interesting to read, but visually would be incredibly boring to watch somebody, you know, play in a perfect game of Pac-Man and then, uh, do a, a, a virtual simulation where they have to repeat every line of Matthew yep. Broderick in a movie, you know, and I, I mean, I was wondering, I was like, how are they going to do that? One, like my wife works in licensing. So I kind of think in licensing terms, I'm like pulling that all together is one thing, you know? And I remember the, you know, the stories about what it took for who framed Roger rabbit to have bugs, bunny and Mickey mouse on the same screen for a minute. Like the, you know, the, the coup that was when that came out, how are you going to put all this intellectual property in one place, what that's going to cost. And then how are you going to realize this into something that's interesting to watch? Because the Wade Watts character in the book is incredibly unlikable and he goes through a big journey though. So his arc is much bigger than it is in this movie. Um, he, I mean, he like gets himself in shape and, you know, he stops watching porn and all this kind of, I mean, he goes through a, like a big journey and it's sort of like listening to Ernest Klein go from being a teenager to being a, an adult. His, and that's how he had how he kind of describes what that is like, but it's also meandering in a lot of ways and a little too self-referential. And at some point, it just like one more reference, and it's oh god, how many things are we going to shove in this paragraph? It's almost like a Mad Libs of '80s pop culture at some point. And I'm like, I don't know how they're going to do that in a movie. So I, again, I read the book and I said, okay, fine. So the movie had been out maybe a week, and I went and saw it on like a Thursday night you know, or something after work. I, there was nobody in the little theater in the college town I was living in at the time. Um, but I went for like the big D whole experience. I didn't do the 3D, but I thought I wanted the biggest screen I could get in my town. Uh, we didn't have an IMAX. And so I went in and I walked out going like, okay, I, big popcorn movie, kind of what I thought it was. And then through happenstance, I ended up winning a free digital code of this movie. And it's been sitting in my voodoo ever since. And I think I've watched it a couple of times um, now since seeing it theatrically. And I remember walking out of it going, well, you know, I don't hate it, but I don't exactly love it either. But I think it's got some interesting stuff to say. It feels like yeah, exactly. there's, some, there's some competing stuff going on. So anyway, it, it, all that said, 
a big preamble to say I, I didn't love the source material, but I walked out of it going like, well, you know what? That's a pretty good adaptation of that though. Cause they took the most interesting stuff out of the book and they, they threw it in a movie and I thought they got actors to pull off the stuff that you could get behind with one big exception. And we'll talk about that as we get into it. But I mean, I, I don't know Ty Sheridan from anything. I love Olivia Cook. She was on Bates Motel. I thought I think she's a brilliant actress. Uh, Lena Waithe is funny. I think TJ Miller is funny. I know it's not okay to say that anymore, but I think he's a funny guy. Simon <laughs> Pegg's always a fun presence. And Ben Mendelsohn is just a great, like, bad guy. And he, I mean, he got to be oh, a yeah. bad guy in a Star Wars movie. He got to be the bad guy in an awesome Netflix show called Bloodline. Um, and he's just good in everything. And so when, when he was going to play the corporate, you know, schlub, I was like, okay, I'm down for this. And I, the performances were there. So all of that, it led me to this. I'm like, okay, so I, you know, I want to review this at some point for film strip. And I, it just kind of sat on the deck waiting for, you know, time to pick it up. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to get Mike to do this because it's written by somebody from my generation, directed by somebody from my dad's generation, but aimed at your generation. And the funny thing is <laughs> you guys hated it and rejected it. It's people like me that <laughs> pushed it into that $582 million mark. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I mean, like my, before we get into the plot summary, like my first impressions are I, exactly what you said. Like I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. Um, I guess because I had no expectations and I wasn't expect as much as I like disagree with modern Spielberg, I didn't think he was going to drop the ball. You know, I didn't like, I don't like a lot of his more contemporary works, but they're not like pieces of flaming garbage. Like they're competent movies, you know, that you see the, like the framework, the Spielberg trademarks there. They're not, they're not bad. They're, it was just, I just, I didn't think he was going to drop the ball. So I left it. I was like, yeah, like, I could see myself returning to this, but, and that's just, you know, show my hand a little bit, but, um, but yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. And we'll get into specifics of why and where that kind of stems from. Well, I, I hear you on that. Let's do the plot summary and then we can get into that discussion. So the year is 2045 and people find their identity, livelihood, and every escapist fantasy known to the human race in something called the Oasis, a virtual reality simulation created by the eccentric James Halliday. The, this includes um, our protagonist, Wade Watts, who worships Halliday and all the pop culture Halliday was obsessed with. When Halliday dies, he promises to leave his immense fortune and total control of the Oasis to a winner of a three-part contest he's designed to find a worthy heir. Other Halliday worshipers, often called Gunters, short for egg hunters, hunting the Easter egg, uh, often interact with Wade. There's uh, his best friend, H., a huge mechanical, uh, muscular being in the Oasis, so he's never met H in real life, uh, as well as Samurai Daito and Fighter Show. And even though he's never met him in person, these are Wade's best friends because his home life sucks to you know make short of it. Uh, he also meets and subsequently falls head over heels um, for the mysterious Artemis, who often fools the corporate players in a quest known as Sixers, uh, known for their six-digit numbers, because there's a company called IOI who's out to also solve the quest of Halliday and run the Oasis and turn it into an ad-laden, uh, seizure-inducing nightmare. So once Wade cracks the first quest, he begins to bring his friends along. They also bring more attention from a corporate goon named Sorrento who wants to control the Oasis purely for profit, like we've said. 
and we'll stop at nothing to get control of it. There's lots of adventures. Our crew, you know, race to unlock these different keys. They go through dots and stuff. We'll talk about all the challenges specifically. They even seek help from uh, the Halliday archives and get some assistance from Halliday's old partner, Ogden Morrow, although don't, they don't know it's him at the time. The big finale takes place in the virtual planet doom where all the Gunters go full on attack against an army of the Sixers. Also, they can figure out how to play Halliday's favorite Atari game adventure, hoping to get the last key. And after, you know, a big climactic scene, Wade realizes the point isn't to win that game, but to find the video gaming's original Easter egg hidden in adventure by its programmer. Wade solves this and is given the final key and following one final test of loyalty by Halliday's AI presence, He's given the Oasis and all of its riches, which he shares with his new friends as IOI goes down for all their criminal trespasses and credits roll. And that's about as streamlined as I can talk to this two and a half hour movie that's got so much shit put in it that it's it's hard to break down piece by piece. I mean, honestly, um, I, I think the thing that I will give this movie credit for is from the opening jump, pun intended, Spielberg sets a tone with what you're about to get. All right. You get the Van Halen song pumping in the back and he shows you how awful the world is at this point. It's stacks of like camper trailers stacked on top of each other. That's where most people live, but they don't really live there. They exist in this oasis because you can not only play games and do all that stuff, but you can earn a living there. You can be a totally different person. I mean, Wade gives us this virtual tour of you can be on a casino planet. You can rock climb with Batman if you want to. And you all you pick up these virtual coins um, in hopes of, you know, sustaining a livelihood that on Earth, you really all you're really doing is sleeping and eating. And then you're putting on your gear and you're going into that. And I thought the way he set that up with the way Wade kind of gets out of his aunt's trailer with her abusive boyfriend and he goes to, he has like a little hiding spot in a junkyard. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, 25 years from now, basically you're telling me the whole world's Wi-Fi is so good that you can set up anywhere you want. <laughs> I sign me up for that. Cause I still get bad signals where <laughs> I live. I, I thought the world building because the book takes forever to set this up. And the way that got condensed by Zach Penn and Klein and, and the 50 other people that probably wrote on this and Spielberg, because, you know, he writes on everything he directs, summing that down to those first three or four minutes, I'll give this movie credit. It puts you right into a place where like, hey, you don't have to know everything. You just need to know these simple rules and how this works. And so from that end, I'm good. And I think it's that first shot when Wade puts on the goggles and the camera goes around him and we go into that virtual world. I'm like, OK, that that was a nice little transition. That was a good move. Oh yeah, yeah, and like this this opening this opening bit, like this is anything that's in the real world. I feel like Spielberg is really, with the exception of a few moments in the in the simulation, I feel like Spielberg is like top of his game here. You know, like the the depiction of the stacks. I like so I haven't read the book, but I've watched videos, people just talking about it, describing it. So I like know the points uh, and and listen to people describe the stacks in the book, and then seeing it. Uh, transcribed to the screen or translated to the screen like okay yeah this is like really interesting really unique camera move it's very fluid um and yeah i'm, I'm going with it i i really I, I the one thing is there's holy exposition like it's just like data dump which yes i understand you need especially in this world you need there always is exposition but i was never a fan of just literally just data dumping 
because then you just get kind of lost in the sauce. I think that that whole opening number of, you know, seeing the stacks, people, you know, so you got someone surfing, you have someone boxing, you have some like this woman pole dancing in the middle of her apartment like that, like that image, especially it's like she's an overweight woman. You know, she's like on like she's clearly a stripper, but it's subconsciously showing like she like she doesn't look like that in this virtual reality like she's like this i don't know skinny strippers or whatever doing their thing in this virtual world that image alone is telling me everything i need there's a dude surfing on the edge of his uh in like a cage like oh that's a really unique visual um and then we go into the world and we see all this and even just through dialogue of you know, it's a little heavy handed of, oh, like you, you don't know what they look like. They could be a fat dude living in his mom's basement in Detroit. You know, like it's things like that, that I think really, that's all we need. Um, so yeah. it, it's both, we don't need all the information, but they're also simultaneously just dumping as much stuff as they can without it. Just them talk without them just like literally transcribing the book. Yeah. It and seems they, like. Yeah. And the other thing that they, they set up and do a good job of playing through is what the whole contest is about and who Halliday was and how that works. And so you have to imagine that a gaming company would become as big as like Amazon or something EA. Know, or, or Google. EA, well, EA yeah, but, is already, is already yeah, like that. I mean, <laughs> e- this, EA is, is, this is EA. Yeah. EA is pretty freaking big. They wish they were this big. It's like if EA became Google or something and had that kind of power. And then there was a split between the guys, which is kind of an homage. I mean, I've always thought Klein was homaging Microsoft with that, with, you know, Steve Allen and and Bill Gates going their separate ways at some point. Um, But you, you see James Halliday and you get a little bit of his background and he's like the Uber super nerd genius person. And Ogden Morrow is more of the face of the company, the business side, but not like ruthless. He's a techie too. But he's the one more kind of keep his like super nerdy friend in line or whatever. And I say super nerdy, it's coded the way it's played is that he's kind of Asperger's autistic yeah. a little bit. And well, I got to tell you, spectrum. yeah, that doesn't come through in the book as much. And and I'm that's the thing I'm going to ding. Like I like Mark Rylance. He sucks in this role, and the way he plays it, I hate it. I'm like, no, this is not the way that the Avatar talks in the. Oasis um, is, you know, the real confident, you know, whatever version of himself. And I understand like people can be something that they're not when they're in there. That's the idea. And that even holiday that was true for, but you, I, I didn't like that performance. I didn't like the totally detached and kind of, uh, he looked like, you know, Getty Lee from Rush, too. And that was the other problem. I was like, that's not what that person would, would look like. I don't care how you know, successful he is or whatever. And it just, I don't know, it was almost too much in some ways. Like, he's, the the I think, the weakest part of the cast. The good thing is, is he's not really in this very much, and they don't ask him to do a lot. But I, I, they, they lay all that out enough to let you know that he dies and you see like the way that they, they talk about his death announcement. He sits up in his casket and he's like, if I'm dead, this is what happens. And you can earn a you know quest for, you know, $500 trillion or whatever it is. And it, look, the whole world is watching this like school children stop what they're doing. Everybody does this when he dies and you realize like, Oh, that would be what happens when like, you know, one of these, like when Jeff Bezos goes, like a lot of people are going to freak out, you know, and stuff like that. Like that's, that's the reaction we're getting from it. And I love how they, they skip over what the book takes chapters to do is 
eh, somebody that nobody ever remembers figured out the first door. And then from there, nobody's been able to you know do this thing because the first challenge is this big race and da da da. But before we get into that, I, I, I want to get your thoughts on Rylance and Halliday and how that goes. Cause that's the one part of this that I, I still don't think works. And it's part that when it comes on, I just kind of cringe. Yeah, I definitely. When Holiday comes on, I'm like, okay, so he's like some like on the spectrum, like Asperger, uh, like autistic, like savant when it comes to when it comes to like pop culture and video games. I think it's interesting how I don't know if it's really established in the movie, but I've gathered this from watching all these films. Like this, this VR is not only free; it extends to everyone. But it's like a working economy. Yeah. Like this is like it's 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 like almost well, I don't want to say it's like the matrix, but it's like it, it's just this working economy that now I don't understand like how the real world economy factors into this, but and that's not important. Well, um, and, and I can tell you that they don't do it in the movie. In the book, there's a there's a pretty decent bit of explanation about it. And imagine if you could go to work, but instead and, and this is not hard to imagine anymore after the last year we've all just lived through, but if you go to work but you don't really go anywhere. You go online and you do your job and the coin that you earn is a cryptocurrency that just translates back here because the world we live in now is one where like nuclear devastation has happened and this is everybody's left. So the idea that like the dollar versus the yen doesn't really matter anymore. It's all about your coin. I'm like, well, that's, yeah, yeah, that's Bitcoin or Dogecoin, whatever you want to say took over. And that's how it all, it all works together. That's how it's supposed to do. They don't explain that in the movie. And I'll be honest with you, Mike, I'm kind of glad they don't go into it because the book, like it's long passages about it. I'm like, Ernest Klein doesn't know anything about economics and and that's okay because he doesn't need to, to, you know, pass that idea off. But the idea is that if you imagine a world where you, when you go to school, you go to work but you don't really go anywhere you put a headset on and that's a much bigger part of the book is that like the schools you go to are on these virtual planets and just like schools in real life if you if you're not really rich you go to the crappy planet to go to school and that's where weight is which is a bizarre thing to even think about in a virtual world but um and the socioeconomic racism would still exist in in a virtual yeah and and also I, I bring up the whole working economy bit because that we will get back to that point at the very end when the the Spielberg schmaltz comes in yes, full it swing. Does, it does come in heavy at the end. Yes, um, I but I I do I, I am going with the the character. Um, I just watched uh, Trial of Chicago Seven, so I'm like, oh, that's that's uh the that's the lawyer. That's um, and then I uh, oh the Dunkirk. You know, he's a he's a character actor that I've seen before, but now for some reason I'm just starting to recognize him. So I'm like, oh, okay. And then I looked, I looked up, I looked up everyone on the IMDb. Cause I'm like, I've, these are like filled with like, oh, that guy. And I was looking up who, where I've seen everyone. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going with it, you know, especially I'm not just hating on, I don't want to just make it seem like I'm hating on the movie. Like I'm, I'm trying to give it its, its fair shot. Um, I'm trying to see the world building that they're going into. Um, but yeah, and I, like I said, I really like that opening, that opening segment of showing like this crappy, uh, Oh, we're, are they in Columbus? They're in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. yeah, Columbus. Seeing this, the 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 images of the stacks, like that's a really unique visual. Like these uh, these uh, these cities that are just like shackled t- together, like literally. It's very. It kind of reminds me of another, like Blade Runner, almost. Yeah, um, just a dirtier which, version. Yeah, dirt, like, like, like an, in, an inadvertent. Uh, homage, a homage, not a ripoff, a homage. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but no, I'm I'm going with it. I, I I do, and I and I am liking um, 
Wade. You know, I think he's, you know, I like how he's moving around. I like the, the exposition. Like, it's just very naturalistic. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, it doesn't yeah. seem forced, whatever this exposition. Because that's the, another problem I have with voiceover exposition dumps. It just is like, it's just forced. You know, it's just economic. Just get, get it out. Get it out there. This seems more like, okay. Like, he's, it's almost like he's teaching a history class of like, this is what happened. This is the context. And uh, I don't know if, I mean, I don't know if that really matters, but I it, it felt okay to me. I was going with it, other than just wow, this is a lot of information. Should I be taking notes? Yeah, yeah, you almost feel like you should. And and Ty Sheridan is somebody I recognize him. He played the reboot X Men film series. He was Cyclops in that, and I was I was like, you know, he looks like a James Martin. I can go for that. And he's got a real easy presence to him. He's fun, and he he's allowed to be a teenager, but that's trying to grow up and and has nowhere to go and all he does is just obsess about escaping his life into this and trying to win this contest right um but you also realize like he he tells you like my parents didn't make it out of those wars you know out of the bad times so i live with my aunt and her string of loser boyfriends and mostly i just try to ignore in the book it's a lot deeper like he has to sleep on top of the washer and not make noise and it's very it's even worse than what they show in the you know redneck hell that he's a part of now yeah, it, it feels like this. Uh, this world's like almost like the Mad Max world, whereas Mad is. Max, like like uh, yeah. Mad Max, especially like Fear Road, that's taking place in Australia, like all the way down on the other side, and then this is taking place in like the United States. You know, Australia, yeah. the hellhole that it is. Um, and then we, this is like the inverse of that. You know, this yeah. is we get the desert, like the boonies, um, the outback, and now we have civilization. As it, I mean, how do you explain the wi- the free Wi Fi in this? apocalyptic world whatever well it's, it's one of those things that like after the i mean he references something called the bandwidth wars which is hilarious i'm like in the corn syrup drought and i'm not like okay we've we lived through a lot apparently yeah and the gas wars and, <laughs> yeah. and, and the water oh, yeah. wars and, you know, you're hearing him say this and you're like well, this isn't terribly far away from like stuff you can see that we might be dealing with at some point but it sets us in a place and again i think that it does a, a more streamlined version of the way the book does it i'm glad you brought up wade i like wade he's got an online presence of course he doesn't go by wade in the oasis nobody does he goes by parzival the you know knight that found the grail on his own that's kind of his thing and i love that he has like relationships inside the oasis right he's got h which is i mean it's kind of a when it came in the book like i was like they're about to tell me that this is actually a non-male this is going to be a female and that's playing this tough badass in this oasis area and it kind of it feels telegraphed and it's almost it, it it's a sort of obvious from the beginning, but I like Lena Waithe and and uh, Ty Sheridan. I think they have good chemistry together. They're fun together. You can tell they they work well together. And you know they're kind of picking on each other like buddies do in this opening race thing. And I, I love that they come up because the first challenge in the book, man, is like you have to play a game of. You know, some video game. Uh, like, um, uh, you, uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's something or something like that. You have, to, you have to play a game of Joust is what it is. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I was, and, yeah. And you have to play a perfect game of Joust and Wade like figures out if you use the other controller, it's easier. I don't know. It's it's really complicated. And then they have this thing called Flick Sync or Film Sync where you can virtually step into any role of any movie ever made. And if you can 100% complete it, like you get so many coins for it. But in this case, it's part of like he has to redo like war games or something. Yeah. yeah Which I'm like, yeah, th- yeah, there's no way to like do that. So th- the fact that they made it a big race through not New York City, but pretty much was with all of like Godzilla, King Kong and all this other shit flying out at you and nobody can ever complete it. 
I had fun in that opening sequence with that. And the fact that Wade is so like, he's poor enough that he doesn't have coin to fill up his car, his virtual DeLorean, as it were. Um, so he has to like stay in the back for other cars that crash. And when you crash out, you lose all your coin. You literally lose everything you've got. So your your money in the real world is tied into the Oasis. So somewhere along the way, some government made that decision and every government followed follow the line. And I just have to kind of accept that and go, okay, fine. Yeah. That's that's what this is. Like you're picking up trash on the street, basically, as somebody digitally disappears in front of uh, you. And pff, you I'll be you in the back. I'll up. be picking up trash all <laughs> right, day You long. know what? Hey, it's, I'm like, <laughs> I like the strategy. First, you let all the suckers get knocked out of the way. But all that the other pawns crap. go first. And what, you can see what's in front of you because H is driving Bigfoot. So, you know, he's uh, she's got some some room uh, to, to grow in that. But Wade's in the back. Um, I like the first race, though. I think it's cool uh, because it puts us in this world of um, what Halliday's trying to get people to do. And I think you figure out real quick that these uh, solves for these puzzles are going to be having to look at it from the side or look at it, you know, differently than, than straight through. It's never going to be easy. Right. I mean, he says it in the setup, like this ain't going to be easy. They're not under a rock. You got to go find them at the end of a maze inside of my brain or whatever. And which means that's an homage to the book in the book. You have to know an insane amount about like Halliday to be able to even play in these things. And Wade like knows stuff about him the way that like it's almost scary, like the level of detail he knows about this person because he doesn't know anything about himself. And yeah. I think that's part of the journey of it. And I'm glad they played that down a little bit in the movie because that would be really off putting because he's so likable as a presence. But when you find out like all he's really got is what he knows about James Halliday. And it's kind yeah. of sad, you know, yeah. uh, but, they, but they played that at the end with that big, after the big wreck, he, he hooks up with, or doesn't hook up with, he meets Artemis, this girl. And I love how he describes her as, I, I imagine her as like the really popular Twitch TV channel and her legacy on the Oasis is she screws up all of the corporate runners as they're going along like she will she'll wreck them instead of them winning just to make sure they don't get a piece and we find out later why but i love that she kind of calls him out on all of his holiday geekiness and that he you know he really needs to think about something else too yeah and and when especially when you see the relation like the one thing i want to hit on too like you see the relationship with uh like h and artemis that that is one thing that there's no way this is like spielberg did this because I think that this movie, like this idea that you can have friends in this virtual world, like true friends. I think that like, especially of Spielberg's generation, like that's something that he won't understand this, this idea that like, oh, you've never met these people and they're your friends, like the human connection through video games. Now, me personally, I've never had like friends that I've never, well, I say that, but I would say uh, Mike, you host a podcast with people that you've never seen. <laughs> Let's say specifically video games. Like I at yeah. least like we're we're on Zoom. I'm looking at your face. Like I I know yeah. what you look like. Uh, so it's it's a virtual, but like video games, like all you have is their voice, you know, and and the, and but I but there's you, you know you're 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 transcending all the superficial nature of like what they look like, who they are, like race, creed, religion. All you're. You're well, transcending you are, all of that. Well, you are, but what you also realize, and Wade says it early, is that everybody's putting on an avatar, and you know that's not who they really are. Oh, yeah. They're just trying to put forth a front. He's trying to look cool and kind of 
I don't know, this buckaroo bonsai Marty McFly thing. You know, that's what he's got going on. And H looks like, uh, you know, the top half of Goro mixed with a transformer. You know, like you're just, which either that's the point is you can be anything you want. Like Marvin the Martian kind of runs through in a scene. And I'm like, yes, I would be Marvin because I love that character. You know, like you can be yeah. whatever you, but my, my, my pick on that is you tell me there's only one Freddy Krueger in the Oasis. Like, how do you differentiate between if you want to be Batman? Like, which version are you? How do you know you're not somebody else's Batman? You know, that that's yeah. one of the little flaws of the thing. And they don't explain it in the book. They don't explain it in the movie here either. Well, it's funny, too, because, uh, like, when you see, like, this world, like, the, this exists, you know, I think it's called VR World, and there's yeah. actually YouTube channels where that anonymity, like, comes into play. Uh, it's kind of like a Humans of New York type thing, but it's, like, Humans of the VR, and this guy sits down and interviews people through the virtual reality. So, like, the, the most popular ones that I liked watching was we, he was talking with vets, like, uh, uh, like military veterans. He was yeah. talking to one guy who was an AC 130 gunship and just like the hell that that was. Uh, he's talked to, you know, special operations guys. He's talked to, like, just boots on the ground, like the atrocity and like their struggle with PTSD. And where, where this is, interesting is because they're, they're talking about these like awful events that they've gone through meanwhile their avatars are like kermit the frog or <laughs> yeah. like indiana jones or like a penguin or something and you're listening you're or like woody from toy story and you're sitting there watching this cute little penguin talk about how he was forced to blow up a, a building that was filled with civilians because there were terrorists at the top of the building. And it's like, yeah. how am I supposed to feel about this? And I mean, you get over that like initial, like I'm watching Kermit the Frog talk about like committing war crimes, like inadvertently. Uh, but like this world exists and it's like that front, but like, but everybody it's, but everyone knows that it's an avatar. Like you're more than yeah. likely like, that's not it. So it's not a secret, you know, so people can overlook mm -hmm. that and they can just understand the personality of who they are or, or even like who these people, it's, it's a game show now too on Netflix, the circle or mm -hmm. something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, it's, you, it's you, just you hit it on it, it is that it strips away all the superficiality by laying on another level of superficiality, but one where everybody can be just as superficial as, as each other, as long as you can maintain the coin for it. Right. Like that's the whole thing. So you can tell people still run in packs and they talk about how like there are groups of these hunters that, that get together and they clan up, you know, and that it's like the, Oh, we're not going to do that. We're not going to, it's almost like, you know, the GDIs versus the fraternities or something when, <laughs> when you're in school. And, and I get that, you know, I, I understand that, but I think everybody can relate to that. What I think is neat is that the relationship dynamic that forms because Wade or Parzival as it is, is obsessed with Artemis, like in a seriously almost twisted way. Like he is a super fanboy of hers and getting to talk to her and she actually gives him the time of day is neat. And, you know, once she kind of quizzes him and you can tell she's just flirting and playing with him. She also, you realize there's a lot more going on for her. And I think her arc is neat because what we'll find out. And I mean, it, it we didn't talk about it in the plot summary. She's part of like a resistance movement against IOI and the corporatization of the Oasis. And the fact that, you know, it's not about becoming rich and famous dummy. It's about kind of unlocking this for everybody. So we can all live a little more equally. And I don't know. I like, it. I think it's, it's aided by the fact that Olivia cook is a very talented actor and can deliver those lines and make you believe all that. And you look past the, 
Cindy Lauper digital thing she's got going on on screen and you're her. And I think what helped me was I did know going into it. Cause my thought was like, man, if this is all CGI, I don't know if I can stand this. If I'm watching Jar Jar Binks talk to himself <laughs> for two hours and I found out they mo-capped all of it. I'm like, okay. I like if you're digitally compositing the background, but that's the actual actor face moving, doing all of that stuff. And then you just animate them. I, I can live with that because I realized that's somebody giving a performance. And it's just being rendered differently than I, me seeing them in person, but it's no different than them putting on a lot of Kabuki makeup and doing, you know, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan or something like that on, on a stage. It's the same, it's the same idea. So I, I like the setup of it. I like the fact that H is like so technically advanced and can fix anything. You have all these people and I like that they immediately set up that corporation as the bad guy. And I, I described him in the plat summary as a goon. Ben Mendelssohn is such a corporate goon and he's like perfect for it, man. It's every evil businessman construct come to life. You could ever think of. And I, I think he just got this and said, I'm just going to have a lot of fun and chew this up. And I get to be in a Spielberg movie before he dies. Yeah. It's a perfect amount of camp. That you're like he's not taking it like super seriously, but he's you know he's able to he's able to pull it off, and it's it's yeah it's a per- it's a perfect performance, especially for like a movie where everything takes place in a video game. And that's the other thing I want to say about the the animation because I thought it was going to be disjointed and just kind of like going back and forth between the virtual reality world and the real world, but animation's top notch you know it, and it's like just cartoony enough that you're like okay yeah it's a video game so the context of everything it makes sense and you and you run with it you know you can it like the uncanny valley is a little bit there but you're like oh it's a video game especially if you play a lot of video games like the uncanny valley is just all over the place but you turn your brain off because it doesn't like you know it you it doesn't matter like you know you watch uh rogue one star wars and you see cgi tarkin and up Speaking of uh, speaking of our villain here, you you see Tarkin, and you're like, that doesn't look right. Like this doesn't this doesn't feel right. Or you see uh, Leia at the end of it, you're like, this does like it looks both amazing and awful at the same time. You're like, man, this is weird. But in this version, like Tarkin could have shown up here, and it would have looked just fine. Um, because I think it's, it's, the, it's it, the situation that they're in. Like they're trying to recreate a person that we all know really existed and give us Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher back in those roles because they didn't want to recast it because they don't have to anymore. Like they, they did. They just put those people over the top of them and they got the voice acting right. The, the, the reason it's different here is everybody's being something that they're not. Yeah. And you just kind of go with it. Right. Versus being you know, like if somebody showed up looking like Princess Leia, You'd be like, okay, yeah, they're just playing, they're cosplaying in a lot of ways. And you just kind of go with it. You know, I have friends that do cosplay, and I think that's amazing if you're into that. And some of them get really good at it. And then there's some you're like, well, you're wearing the outfit, go for it, be your best, you know, whatever you are for the day. And and that's fine. But I, I don't know. I, I think that's the difference between what Rogue One tried to do, which is it's the worst part of Rogue One, which is an awesome movie, by the way. And maybe we'll talk about that one someday, versus what they're doing here. But back to Sorrento and his squad. What I love is that this corporation has hired all these like young people, these kids who are Wade's age and Samantha's age, Artemis's age to study Halliday on such a way that they can churn out information about him to try to figure out the clues. Like that 
that seems like the kind of thing that like a company like Deloitte would do. Like they would hire all these kids to come be consultants for them to tell them how to make our app work better. And I mean, I see that every day, like companies do that stuff. And it, so it wasn't that far fetched to believe that there would be a corporation trying to do something like that. Yeah. And one thing that I kept thinking, because I, I really liked how they hired the young people, the pop culture whizzes and, and the experts to be the consultants. And the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm like, damn, I am such a nerd because I, I was catching so many references in this movie. Like even yeah. even this like I was I started watching this with my girlfriend. We watched half of it and then it was just late. Um, so we had to go. So we went to sleep and I finished on my own. But we were watching it. I'm like, oh, this is a Mechus cube. Oh, the holy hand grenade. Oh, there's there's the <laughs> Jurassic Park um, a T-Rex. Oh, there's yeah. there's that. Oh, cool. Like literally that was coming out of my mouth every single time, even. And, and I felt both accomplished and like, oh man, what am I doing my life? Like I, I love <laughs> like the, like the Zemeckis cube when we'll get to that moment, but when the Zemeckis cube is used and, uh, and then we get the little back to the future jingle, I'm like, oh, okay. And then, but it's like things like that, that I'm like, okay, I'm such a nerd. And I'm not that I'm like at the level of this, but uh, well, I was curious if you felt similar. Oh, totally. Watching. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going like, <laughs> man, I've, I've seen all of these movies, but that's what I'm saying. Like Klein wrote a book of all the stuff he was obsessed with as, as a kid growing up. And it's the same stuff that I it was aware of. At least I didn't, you know, do some of it or wasn't into all of it, but I at least know what it is, you know? And then, so everybody had something they could, they could tie into when they're watching it. And to his credit, Spielberg, he wanted John Williams. He couldn't get him. Williams was busy. So he got Alan Silvestri to do the score. And he told Silvestri specifically, I want you to reference like back to the future, Jurassic park. I want you to hit those beats when it happens. And Sylvester is like, isn't that going to be a little on the nose? He's like, yeah, that's the point. This whole movie is yeah. on the nose. Yes. And I was like, yeah, but I think that's what it's for. Like in some way, there's like too much stuff up there. So like, if you just pause the screen, you can count all the characters, you know, on it. But even if you don't catch it, if you just catch one or two, that's the point is that there's something for everybody here. So it allows you to get into it. And I want to talk about that first challenge now, Mike. Yeah, because, I was literally just about to ask, like, let's yeah, get to that first challenge. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so they, you know, they run the race. It's a disaster. And Wade's like, nobody ever gets by Kong. There's got to be another way of doing it. So they go and they, the Halliday journals are like this big uh, oasis library of everything James Halliday ever thought, dreamed of. Apparently he cataloged all of it. And people didn't really hang out in there anymore because everybody had given up. It had been five years since he was dead. The the hunt was cold, whatever. So Wade keeps going back and he keeps looking for something. And he he decides that he wants to go back to the the day that they decide to, I don't know, take the company public or you know, something's happening or whatever. And he's looking for any kind of clue he can get. And um he, you know, he earns an extra quarter from the curator, the butler, which like if you don't figure out that's the Simon Pegg character. Just by the voice alone, you're not paying attention to this movie, but that'll come into play later. And I'm going to talk about that. I feel like that is totally ripped off from Scott Pilgrim, but we'll, we'll come back to that. But he figures out because Halliday says something about uh, they're having an argument or whatever. And he's like, don't you wish you could just go backward really fast? And he's like, that's it. Eureka. And I'm like, if it, if, if the solve to this is that he just puts that car in reverse, I might have a problem with this movie. It was literally the first thing I thought of when there's, when he's like, <laughs> yes. no one gets through Kong. I'm like, oh, so you go backwards. You try. Right. And it's literally the first thing I thought of was go that, backwards. Yes. And I'm sitting there going like, <laughs> I'm sitting there crossing arms. Like, I'm going to start yelling at a cloud now because this is not cool until it actually happens. 
And then the way it's realized through all that animation and, and how cool you see all that destruction happening from a different point of view. Like there's times when Kong is like pounding the, the cement and you think he's pounding the cars. What he's doing is looking for anything going beneath him that he can't get to. And it, I mean, it's a great idea. It's a great resolve to that first one, because again, it's way cooler than what's in the book. Like there's no way to make what was in the book cool on a screen if you read it it's way more interesting if you can imagine reading somebody playing joust is interesting but <laughs> Klein does a pretty good job of doing that um of really getting into how it worked but I, I like how wade figures it out and gets to the end and of course he's just starstruck by all of it and I love how afterward like he is exactly what an 18 year old kid would do if you gave him a hundred thousand dollars like you know how to handle that. <laughs> oh, that! Oh, that's a steal. Exactly. Oh, right? like, dude, don't cool. don't do all that. And he buys like a new haptic suit and all this stuff. And people, you know, I remember hearing that word like, "What the heck is a haptic?" And then I realized like, "Oh, it's on my phone, moron." You know, and now you know you you can adjust those things and all that stuff. I'm like, well, this is not so far fetched. But anyway, I say all that stuff because I I thought if that's the solve to this challenge, this is lame. Until I saw it, and then having seen it, I'm like. Okay, that was actually kind of fun. Oh yeah, it's definitely fun. But to but to believe, especially if like this is like there there have been conspiracies on Reddit that people solve within like four hours, you know, like or, or did they solve it with it quicker than five years? So to believe that like this is people's obsessions that they literally have a division of nerds that are studying this. Like you're telling me the solution is drive backwards. And I do like. I wish someone would have figured it out. And instead of like reversing, they actually like turned the car around and like drove straight. And then, oh, they hit the wall. Oh, someone already tried driving backwards. Like that to me would have been like, oh, like, okay, someone tried going backwards, but they didn't go in reverse. Then I would may have given that because I've see, I've never in a video game. I've never like, you know, driven in reverse. I've always spun the car around and just driven straight. So maybe that could have been a little bit uh, that may have been a little bit of a tweak but either way yeah it's super fun i love the like you see the framework it's almost like a glitch when you fall through the ground and you just like you're looking up in a video game and you're like oh well like there's nothing down here and you know the t-rex is sitting on a conveyor belt and it shoots up and you're like seeing the inner framework of the design of the track and yeah i love that bit where kong sees him and is like smashing trying to get through and he can't and that's how you beat kong and i do love the i also love the moment where it's like Oh, an 18 year old, like with the money, but also, oh, I told my friend and then he, oh, I told Artemis and, or no, she saw me do it. So she figured it out. I told my best friend who then told these two other people and, or told this guy and then he told his brother. And so now it's like, we're the high, the, the high five. That's like, yeah, that's crew. what they call them. Cause they're the first five on the leaderboard or whatever. And, and they're all friends anyway. So they kind of, that's how they all sort of tag up together. Um, what what's neat about the next part is that you're given a clue at the end of each challenge to lead you to the next one. And it's usually a puzzle or a riddle or something. And they're not that dissimilar from the book. The books are a little longer and a little more, I don't know, they're written differently, but, but these work because they're built, they're a different set of challenges. And he's trying to figure out like, you know, taking a leap of faith, what could that be? And he deduces that it's like, okay, um, it's got to be, you know, some big moment in his life. Like, what, what did you regret? And that's what he's trying to figure out. And 
through some help and stuff, he he decides like, oh, it's it could be uh, the fact that he didn't go out with this girl this one time who turned out to be Morrow's wife later down the line or whatever, or it could be this and that. And the whole time, though, he has no idea that IOI has put all of its effort now into we got to either destroy this guy or we have to get him on our side one way or the other because the, the, most of them think that Sorrento doesn't give a damn, but the rest of the company is like, we need to buy this dude off and get him to come work for us because obviously he's the smartest person ever. And I liken that, Mike, being a sports fan to like, you know that uh, those NFL MVPs in the Super Bowl to get like that massive contract for the other team that they didn't play for and then they never turn out to be again? It's mm-hmm. exactly what IOI is trying to do here. Uh, with old uh, Wade after the end of that. Yeah, and it's it's funny, like, because after that moment, um, Artemis saying, oh, you have, like, you're well-known now. Like, you have to, like, dis- disguise yourself. And we get the whole bit of, oh, like, the Clark Kent, and uh, like, he has to wear the suit with the glasses, which I like. But it's weird that, because immediately I was like, oh, like, this big evil corporation that literally have multiple divisions of their, like, they're they're setting people to figure out this like you know the sixers or something you know you're you don't think that they're going to come after you after getting on that leaderboard like immediately i was like you got to change your disguise you got to change what you look like man because this i knew that this company was going to go after you and this is i don't know if i said this in the beginning of this discussion this movie is entirely predictable you know oh, you yeah. know like the from the first like the moment we enter this world you know you can predict everything that's going to happen uh, you, you, the first frame, you see the the stacks, and you know exactly how this movie's going to end. Yeah, um, which is know, fine, but yeah. it's just it's just frustrating. You're like, and maybe that just goes into the uh, the naivete of an 18 year old that is now a super mega star. Like he's surpassed Artemis as like he's the new like Twitch big gamer, and and like that fame is like he kind of clouds his judgment of oh the big evil corporation that's been literally devoting all of their time and effort to beat this challenge like oh they're not they're over there i got i got the one up on them like i was like they're gonna go after you buddy you better start hiding and i mean he's got several things going on at the same time too you've got sorrento bribing these you know uh bounty hunters in the uh in the oasis that that's where uh, tj miller shows up as i rock which is hilarious because he's he does all of his humor like can you stand over here i've got this neck problem i can't that shouldn't work but it does it does and oddly enough like you think like this is that is not gonna land like the first joke you're like "Uh uh-oh and then the second one you're like you know actually this kind of goes this is okay it's sort of like him in in uh the deadpool movies which are not good movies (laughs) but he's he's fine and i'm you know how it works out it's like okay i could i could go with that but i i love how he he Wade is trying to figure this out and he figures out like, okay, Halliday once dated Morrow's wife. It's got to be something about, you know, he was going to take her dancing. He's looking for clues. So he, he and Artemis go to this club together. He agrees to meet her there and they have a little dance off or whatever. And Wade does the classic, like too much at once for the girl you find you're infatuated with your dream girl. You get her to go out with you. And he's just like, I'm in love with you. I've always been in love with you. Oh, uh, you know, yeah, of course. She, yeah. She does the natural reaction, even in virtual reality world, guys, that doesn't work. Play it slow. Okay. Because she's like weirdly you, you, sexual. This it, scene well, too. Yeah, well, I mean, part of it is, and I, this is not me blaming anybody. She starts messing with him a little bit. She's like, what kind of suit are you wearing? And she starts rubbing herself on him, you know, just to get him kind of off, but she's just messing with him. She's just trying to poke a little fun at him because she likes him and she clearly trusts him 
but she's not infatuated with him and she has no idea what he's about to lay on her. And she drops all of this on him and uh, on her. And she's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Da, da, da. And then he makes the big mistake. He gives her his name. Yeah. And that's when IOI sends in like their big goons. It's a big shootout. And then the Zemeckis cube, which is a great MacGuffin to get you out of a situation. <laughs> yeah. It turns you back 60 seconds and, you just use that now, but uh, yeah, exactly. I, I did. Um, yeah, I, I did. Like, I, I really like that little bit of uh, the Zemeckis cube. So I, um, first, I was like, uh, "How is it? Like, we're gonna go back in time or something? Like, how's this gonna work?" And then, yep, whoop, ding, 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 and then, and then, okay, let's get the hell out of here. Um, and I, did, I, and I went with it. I was like, especially in this video game world, I was like, but and that's funny when they're like buying all this stuff. And we do get like you know we the first bit of like this the nuke uh, it's like who would buy that I don't know people would just want stuff where it's like the capability of nuking and destroying yeah. every single avatar you're like it's like two billion dollars or something you're like I'm oh like oh okay Chekhov's gun here <laughs> but um but yeah it's uh yeah but so it's funny just seeing like these like these well I guess they do set up like these items of power that people are fighting over like oh yeah I can see the Zemeckis cube being one of those. Artifacts, power, they call yeah, them. Artifacts, like, they're yeah. like power-ups in a, in a game. And, I mean, you, you see that. And what, what you realize in this is that Wade has no idea what he's tapped into or the kind of power he actually has now. And Samantha kind of gives him a, a real reality check. I mean, she kicks his avatar, and it knocks him off of his seat or his, his treadmill or whatever he's walking on to, to virtually move. And she puts it to him pretty quick. That like, you think this is a game and it's just about fame and all this? Like, this company will not only kill you, they'll enslave you. And that's what you learn is that like her dad got, got into the cycle of trying to win and, you know, got in debt. And then now he got, he went to work in a loyalty center, which you talk about some dystopian, uh Oh, here's the underbelly where you realize the companies have taken over the government now is well, like debtors prisons used to be It's well, you'll just come here and you'll work. And the IOI version of that is, you do work in the virtual world until you basically drop and they can't use you anymore. And then they send you back out. And I, I love that they put that in there because I got to tell you in the book, it's very different how that plays out. I mean, her story is the same, but they actually ended up using that. Like they infiltrate the, the loyalty center as a way to undermine the whole thing. And they do that a little bit in the movie here, but not to the same level. And I like though that, that we raise the stakes and like, she cuts him off at that point and won't have anything to do with him. And so he's out there trying to figure out that second challenge. Right. And I, I like that it resets Wade a little bit here because he's trying to figure out what to do. And that leads him to his first meeting with Sorrento who offers him a boatload of money and all this stuff. But to Wade's credit, he wises up and realizes somebody's feeding this guy, all this pop culture he's throwing at me. He's a, he's a poser. And I don't need to listen to him. I need to unhook and get out of this. Which I did like that. That like he's throwing those clues in there. He's like, "Oh, we want to make every call or every high school like the one in uh, Bre- uh Breakfast Club and um Ferris Bueller." He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah like favorite favorite college or and it's and he's like, it's a trap. It's it that's beep at our um that's Animal House. Like don't fall for it." And you know he's just and he understand. And I I do like those. Like that's when I think the references. There's something deeper to the references it's not just like oh Faber college or um i don't even i don't remember i'm sorry i don't remember i'm not that big of a nerd i don't remember the high school that they went to but you know they're not just name dropping these it's it's actually like a mind game of just like do you really know this or are you just 
getting fed lines and you're just bullshitting yeah. me. And and I like how he picks that up or even the moment where he's like, oh, we're going to give you, I like the temptation. It's like, we're going to give you however many millions of dollars and we'll get, we'll get you in a penthouse. And he uses the, um, the, um, the emotion detachment stuff. And he's, and he like, it's, he has to take off his goggles and he's faint. And he's like, oh my God, that's more money than I can even imagine as an 18 year old kid would think that. But I love how, He's smart enough to recognize, like, I'm about to have a panic attack from how much money he's offering me. And, he's like, and, and then the villain, Sorrento, calls him out. He's like, you're probably using the artificial emotional detachment array technology. You're very smart. He's like, that's a lot of money. I, I love how he just comes back and is just super cool and calm. Well, but, and I yeah. love how it comes to him, too. That, like, I can't fall in with these guys because the person I'm infatuated with, who I trust immensely, has told me like these are not good. Plus, I've been racing against their goons forever. I know what you're all about. I'm not going to fall for it. And what's what's wild is that Sorrento, and this is when Ben Mendelsohn really shines, is he's like, you know, I was hoping you would say no because they made me pitch you the offer, but I knew you were going to reject it because I want you to know nobody's going to realize remember you when you're dead in like two minutes or whatever. And that's when you realize Wade, it's like, uh oh, my decisions have consequences beyond me and we see the hit squad go out and blow the stacks up and like you say you, i think you know from the minute you see that first stack you're like one of those has fallen down like you just know and they blow up the one his aunt lives in with her you know boyfriend and it falls over and wade is now officially an orphan again and that i mean it sets the course forward because now he gets picked up in a black van you don't know what's happening and the big reveal is that eh, Samantha came to rescue him after all, which is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, I wish that scene was played a little bit differently, where he's like, oh, well, Wade. Like, because if we, the, the audience knew that IOI knew Wade's name, you know, I wish they, I wish we didn't have that scene where, um, where they like the, the drones or whoever like picks up the name and they send it off. I wish that was excised and we just have that moment of, all right, Wade, we, we know where you are. I was like, wait, you know my name? Because then we would be like, oh my, oh shit, they know his name, you know? Like, it's like it's like you said earlier, you can see everything happening in this movie five steps before it's about to happen. And part of it is because this movie goes out of its way to friggin' tell you what it's about to do. And like, there's on some level, and this is the part of the movie where things kind of drop for me as far as like, I'm going to kind of pay attention to this and flip through Twitter a little bit and all this <laughs> stuff because... I know what's going to happen. I'm like, okay, they're going to, they got to, you know, put, he's on uh, the high round. So in the second act, everything's got to go to hell. So let's blow it all up and let's, you know, kidnap him. And he doesn't know what's about to happen. And of course the kidnap reveal is like, Oh, I'm actually this underground leader of the resistance. In addition to being, you know, this sixer fixture and all this stuff. And so he gets to meet her in real life, which is what he wanted. Like, let's remind her that 10 minutes before that's what he asked for. And she was like, absolutely not. And so I was going to ask you, what, what do you think it was that changed Samantha's mind? And the only thing I can think of is she was watching him too, when all this was going down and was like, oh, I'm not going to let him just kill him because that's yeah. not fair either. Yeah, she totally knew uh, who he was. And I, I, t I take it as both a he's a strong, valuable asset to this team. You know, he he broke the code that like hundreds of people being employed couldn't. You know, he could see through something like he has something that everyone else is lacking. So I took it as both like he's 
a, a extreme asset. He was also the first person to break this alone with no help. And also like, she is like, she is, she likes him. You know, she, she, as, as cold as she wants to appear, she does have some inkling of feelings towards him. Um, which then brings up the whole bit where like, when he says, I love you. And it's like, you, like, it's kind of what um H said, where like, they could just be like a, 50 year old dude who's living in their mom's basement in Detroit where she says like, you don't know what I look like. You, you won't like me. And he's like, I don't care. And then we see her and she just has like a little, like a birthmark on her face, which, which to me, I was like, that's it. Like I thought she was going to be like severely deformed or like an amputee or like paralyzed or something like I, which none of those, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but you know, I can see how someone would be very, self-conscious about that and like not have the confidence especially in this world where you could be whatever you want in the vr world like you're trying to hide something that you perceive as a deficit and 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 then here it's just like oh like she just has a little which i mean yeah i mean i can understand like people who have you know birthmarks they they want they might want to hide that they might be insecure about it but it's just i'm like that's it like yeah it it is kind of thing of like yeah i mean the the way they play it off i'm like you're still really pretty. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Like it's, I don't know. It, that is a cheap part of it. Again, I sort of tell you, like this is the part where I start checking out on the movie. I'm like, oh, okay, let's just get on with it, please. And what's funny is that was like, right as they're about to like, you know, kiss and just that big moment. Right. I love how she's like, oh shit. Like she yeah. realizes like the leap of faith was he should have kissed this one when he had the chance. So when would he have had that chance? What'd they do in their first date? They watched a movie. So like, Halliday had like the greatest letterbox page known to humankind, <laughs> apparently, because go to the journals to find it. And that leads us to the second challenge is like, what would be the worst date movie of any of these on the wall? And it, there's something in the riddle about like the, you know, the creator hates what it creates and they land on the shining because, you know, Stephen King hates the Stanley Kubrick movie to yep. this day. And Spielberg is like BFS with with Kubrick or was when Kubrick was alive. So it would be a fun thing for, you know, if we're going to, this is not anything like this in the book, by the way, this is totally invented for the movie. And I happen to think nobody cops to it, but I'm like, I bet you Spielberg told Penn and Klein, like, you need to make that a Stanley Kubrick thing. You need to make that the shining. And uh, and they create a hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> and you know, that's what it is. And like he got, he went to Kubrick's family and got like the blueprints for the overlook because we've talked about before on the shining that like Stanley Kubrick didn't go shoot that in a hotel. He just built one. Yeah. You know, it's like a labyrinth, you know, yes. it's, del- it's a deliberate labyrinth that doesn't yes. make sense. Sense. Yes, it does. Yeah, there's no architectural sense to it all, except it works in the movie. Oh, yeah. They they recreate the the overlook and we go into that. And I got to say, like, when that music kicked on and all, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see this go down. And it goes down exactly like you think it would. There's the woman in the tub. There's all the blood out of the elevator shaft. It's all that crazy stuff. To get to a point where they go to the ballroom where the dance is happening, which is not in The Shining, but it's actually in the book. But okay, and for for that to be the moment is to to kiss her when you're on the floor with her to dance. Like I don't know, the resolve of that is I didn't love it, and I like yeah. the fact that Samantha <laughs> came up with it and like she figured it out. But I I as much fun as it was to watch the the shining get redone for like half a minute. I was like, eh, it's kind of lame. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I both 
love and hate the scene um, more <laughs> on like the latter because like, like you said, you know, this is like one of the only moments other than the live action that I feel like Spielberg is invested and, and the devils in the details, like everyone that's has listened to me talk before, like they know I'm a stickler for the details and they're here, you know, you compare this to the first sequence where to me, it just feels like Spielberg is like, all right, throw like throw King Kong in there, throw, you know, my, my T-Rex in there, throw this shit. Like, Oh yeah, it looks cool. Like you got to like, just fix the lighting. Yeah. Whatever. Oh, it looks great. It's this big extravagant and it does look great. Like, don't get me wrong, but it just feels very like in star Wars. Uh, if, if you'll indulge me in this little, like the anecdote of when Yoda first fights and, and, uh, Lucas wrote it in the screenplay as Yoda fights and it's indescribable. No one's ever seen this before. And he says, all right, animators go have fun. Like, or like You're with the and, best and, scene in attack of the clones, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and even like Adam Savage has talked about that where like the, 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 the script notes were so vague, which is, you know, like we said, he's enabling these, these creators to create these things, but He's getting all the credit. You know, people, I think, have this assumption that, you know, you look at a planet like Camino or you look at something like uh, like this Yoda fight. And people, I think, have this perception of, oh, like George Lucas was there, like telling people how he moves and like what this planet looks like and what this and that. And like, no, these way more talented people, as I guess arguably a director does, he enables people to create this art and then he like assembles or they he or she assembles it. But you know, that's kind of what I felt like that first segment was, was have fun, guys. It looks great. The Shining sequence, on the other hand, is the inverse, where I feel like he was sitting there where he had like, and it's great. You know, we have the original box art. Any other director for kids like my generation probably seen the generate or seen the Shining, but the next generation, maybe not so much. Um it's easy to put Jack Nicholson's face through the door and be like, Oh, with the shining, but they stuck with the original theatrical poster. And then you go in there and we, yeah. The moment you hear the blom, blom, like I'm like, Oh hell yeah. You see the marquee, you go in, the doors open and you have this beautiful rendition of the overlook, uh, like the, the writing room, even in like throughout the whole segment, we get the, the grain, the the like yeah. the artificial grain of film when the when the shining, the yeah. And you're you like, step, holy it's, shit! It's like that part in the book where you play a role in a movie. They wanted to do that, and then Spielberg's like, oh, I got it, the shining. I have a rewrite, which we'll get to after this, after we discuss the sequence, and then I'm going with it. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm waiting to see what you do with this. Uh, we get like the timeline, which is kind of cool with the key, like the, 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 like all work, no play, like screenplay is going through and like, okay, we have five minutes and uh, the bit where it starts to lose me is I've never seen the shining. I got to watch it through my, with my, <laughs> through my, my closed hands. And like, you're telling me that people are, who are hunting for the eggs, like they're the Easter eggs, the keys, like this is their, their livelihood. Like this is what they do. They've never seen the shining because it's quote unquote too scary and and then we get down oh hey little girls you know like the way out of here and then we get like the the elevator the river of blood which was a kind of a really cool imagining because you know you see that shot in the trailer and then there's never like oh well what happens afterwards you know you know you don't see the like this this nightmare image like how it like goes down the hallway so we get that you know we get the uh the superimposed changing of the jack nicholson picture and then you know room 237 and that's where this starts to lose me 
where we get a superimposed, like, oh, hey, naked lady, what, what's going on? And then she turns into this CGI, something that, like, Andy Muschietti would use in It. Yeah. And that's not scary. Like, that was never scary to me. And then it turns into her stabbing hit, trying to stab him. He falls into the maze, and it just turns into just, like, iconography, which isn't even, like, true iconography. She starts swinging at him with axes, and you're like, I was just waiting for Jack Nicholson to show up. And then well, I mean, there's an axe in that maze that come out. They show that with all the Sixers that are getting wasted in the shining, you know, later after this happens and stuff. The thing that gets me about it, Mike, that I, that I hate is what the ultimate puzzle resolve is. Doesn't make any sense that it's a part of the shining. So I want to hear what your rewrite is, because if you can make that work better, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so it's like, Oh, kiss the girl, you know, tape that, take that leap of faith. And what's annoying is like, at the very end of the movie, the what uh, Holiday is most upset about isn't that he didn't get with the girl. It's that he lost his friendship with Ogden. Yeah. So you're like, what does this have to like? How is this the second key if he if he's more upset about losing his friendship? So that so there's that. So my rewrite is you scrap you scrap. It's not The Shining. We we don't go to The Shining. We keep the idea that it's a movie like this is clearly like the book. It was War Games. This film, they decided to use The Shining because he's such a fanboy of Kubrick and for some reason wanted to pay homage. And I think that's the irony is like the clue is, oh, the creator hates the the work or something. You know, Stephen King hating the movie version of this. But I, I honest to God believe if Kubrick was still alive and he saw this, he would not be flattered that uh, Spielberg did this. He would think it's I, oh. I would say he thinks it's ridiculous, silly, childish and a, a complete like desecration of his work let's make no mistake if stanley kubrick was alive this wouldn't have happened <laughs> like as much as he's friends with steven he would be like no like you he's can't like do this that. is you dumb. know what he would have done he'd be like here redo eyes wide shut because i'm probably still editing that movie at this point <laughs> he's so, still editing the shining exactly yeah so, so what would be your result because i'm with you it doesn't make any sense how to tie those things together like it should have been something about you following a friend down a path or something like that and then it opened up a gate for you or something i don't know so my film, we still keep the movie theme. I say we use Back to the Future. Oh. And the Back to the Future, the, the, the whole key, like you can use some like trite thing of like, oh, like time, going back in time to re, like redo your mistakes, blah, blah, blah. Some trite bullshit that doesn't make any sense um, or just works in context of this. And, and the key is you have to drive the DeLorean, which we've established is his favorite car. Like he loves Back to the Future, the Zemeckis Cube. Like Back to the Future has been referenced. You have to drive the DeLorean and hit the uh, the pole when the lightning strike hits it. Now, where now you might be able to answer this a little bit better than me. I've had this has always stood out to me because you guys, at the time of this recording, like a few months ago, released the Back to the Future retrospective. Yeah. The always, the thing that always stood out to me was when Marty is about to drive. Doc says, "My calculations are correct. When that timer, when the alarm clock goes off, you gun it." And that will all sync up. But if you remember in the movie, the DeLorean is stalling. It does like when that alarm goes off, Marty doesn't hit the gas because the car isn't on. So let's just say he waits 10 seconds and then the car, he slaps the car and it turns on and then he guns it. So the calculations were incorrect. So that's where the whole thing, like when the alarm goes off, you have to wait 10 seconds. And then that's when you gun it and you hit it and then you get transported to the next, like the next where the key is. And if you need some more element of like chase, you know, you can have Biff and his gang come in and no, they're I'm, like I, the big I, boss. I, I follow you on this and I get you just real quick on the back of the future thing. 
the way that that gets explained, the way I've always heard it is that Marty's supposed to drive a, like increments of increasing his speed to get up to the 88 to hit that pole. Well, because he's late, he just guns it the whole way and says, screw it. And like, cause it, when you, when you hit 88 in that DeLorean, this is a, a total diversion here. All that sparky stuff starts happening, right? That would have been really distracting in 1955. So Doc's trying to keep a low profile. He wanted him to hit it right at the moment. Well, Marty hit it a few minutes earlier because he was late. That's what that is. But I like your rewrite. I like that idea. It's a better move to get where we're going anyway. And Samantha figures that out. Of course, they've all seen it, the high five. So they do it. And now everybody's seen it because everything you do, by the way, is broadcast 24-7. And so so scream forward, guys, life has, you know, now has meaning. And so <laughs> the Sixers are trying to follow up. They're just trying to get through the shining maze too. And they they zero in and figure out where they're transmitting from. And they do the raid on Samantha's compound. And she calls in a favor and throws Wade in the back of a van. He has no idea what's about to happen. And she says, you'll forgive me for this, I promise. And she gives herself up, which I think is huge because she knows what's about to happen. She's getting sent to a loyalty center, which is like her personal hell. That's where her but was dad that died. part of her plan? I, well, you see, the thing is, in the book, it, Wade like purposely goes to work at one of them with like a, a alternate identity so he can undermine it and get her out of it. But apparently her plan was just to get him away because that's when H enters in and we realize H is a girl who drives her dad's big postal van, you know, and that's where she streams from and all this stuff. So, you know, and he meets, I think he meets Daito and show at that point too, is real people, which in the book, they're brothers and here they're just different, you know, Asian nationalities, aren't which they is like, fun. Aren't they like they're Japanese, but they're like Asian stereotypes of, I think, ja- I think of Japanese. Is, I think one's Japanese and one's either Chinese or Korean. So. Well, in the, in the book, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, if I even think of the movie, I think that's how it's done, but e- either way, like, yeah, they're, they're two different kind of ninjas, basically, <laughs> uh, but w- whatever, you know, that be what you want to be in the Oasis uh, way. But these guys are doing this. And the whole point is so you can get Wade with other people that he trusts. But now he's got a reason to, okay, we got to figure out how to break Sam out. And we got to solve the third thing before the Sixers do. Because what you realize is that IOI is planning all of a sudden. They know the final thing is on Planet Doom. They figured that out through, you know, everybody's kind of on the same page for that. And they are setting up all these bombs around to, you know, blow up the bridge, you know, mess the whole thing up so nobody else can get nearby. And a good old, um, good old Wade realizes, you know what? The way we can do this is we got to take it to them. And I got to say, like, I love the sequence of the we're not going to take it on Planet Doom and all hell breaking loose. Because this is every 80s rebellious teen movie. You know, we're going to go and we're going to fight. It's Streets of Fire. It's all that crap. And I, I liked it, man. I thought it was fun. I like the fact that there's a Chucky bomb. that You can throw the Chucky doll at somebody. Yeah, we got the one. We get the one F bomb because it's a PG-13 movie. They saved that for the perfect time, which I think is great. And I, I like I like all of that. And I like the fact that it's the whole point is that they realize we got to guess um holiday's favorite atari game which that would not be knowledge i think would be hard to find but again like if you start going like well wouldn't everybody know that yeah they probably would but to get to this point look at the hell you've had to go through to get to that so 
the thing is, though, is that everybody's trying to so play in every game, and as they play, they fall through this iceberg. So all that's going on while the battle's going on, Wade, and you got the Iron Giant. There's so much crap that goes on here that it's almost like too much. It becomes even like modern video. You get Master Chief, you get the Overwatch characters, yeah. and I'm I mean, like not a fan of any of those. But I was like, I was waiting for like Fortnite characters to come well, in. Well, yeah, too, I think if they, I think if that had existed um, on the level it does now, it would have definitely made an appearance in this. But I don't think it was around, or if it was. It wasn't as popular. I think it was like just starting. But there yeah, are Minecraft way, sheep though running across that. There's all the Call of Duty people. Oh my god! Yes, there's all that crap, dude. There's so much crap in there. <laughs> but but it's almost too much. It's like the battles in Revenge of the Sith. It's like there's so much shit on the screen. I can't possibly pay attention to any of it. Where are the characters I'm trying to watch? And what I'll give credit for this movie for and for Spielberg is the cameras don't leave the people that you're supposed to be paying attention to. And they get to use all their cool gadgets and shit to get to get way to that point. You know, that's the whole point is we got to get him to that end. And then Sorrento does what every bad guy does. And this is what I'll give this movie credit for is when you have like a big nuke and you just threaten with it all the time, I hate you because you don't have the balls to do something with it. And he actually sets the thing off. And I'm like, you know what? I'll give you credit. You decided to wipe out everybody. If I can't have it, no one can. And I, I love TJ Miller. He's like, wait, you're serious? Like, yeah. I got a lot of stuff in here, man. I don't. And, and I love when he blows up and it's like literally all of his treasure mm-hmm. is just decimated. But yeah, I, I do love how he's like, yeah, I'm going to use this because I can I can buy myself back into this. It doesn't matter. And when that bomb goes off, it's it's like pretty devastating. You know, it's like the Call of Duty nuke where I mean, like in that game in uh, I think it was. I don't even know. It's modern warfare play. at the very end of modern warfare. The, the well, yeah, American but like, guy. When, yeah, yeah, when when the bomb goes off, uh, like in multiplayer, just like the screen just goes black. But like this, you just see like everyone just exploding, and they're like, and you can't run from it because it's everyone in the I mean, oasis. It's yeah, not they, just like a hundred square mile. It's everyone. It, it's everyone on planet Doom. You zeroed out every avatar on that planet, which that's thousands of people that you just essentially zeroed their account to, including all of your own people. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, and the IOI, you figure like they had a way of backing that up to fix it, but it it screws up, but it gives the idea of, Oh, I've got an extra life. And I'm like, man, that is ripped out of Scott Pilgrim. And it, and I love it at the end of Scott Pilgrim. That's an underappreciated little film. Oh yeah. By the way, um, which has its own life and its own graphic novel series. And is even better on that med- medium, I think, than what they did in the movie. But I'm like, of course, that extra quarter would come in. And then you, when you start to unravel that, the problem with that I have, Mike, is that, so his partner gave you that, like gave you specifically you weighed that and he's never given anybody else one of those because nobody's gotten that cool. what is it about you that makes you so damn special all of a sudden yeah I, it's I, yeah it's bizarre. I, I don't know that they paid that off enough you know i mean it was I, it was but i like the idea that like the the ultimate resolve is to find the original easter egg that's the same as in the book and i, I like that i was like, that that's it's kind of a a sweet thing it's like you don't play always to win and dominate you play just to play and live you know that was that was what they dreamed up the oasis for was to give people a better life or a better chance at life as it were and um the fact that that's the resolve is oh that's kind of neat um what did you make of the fact that there's one more test though too that holiday's avatar has him like make sure you sign these personal documents and he's like wait a minute this doesn't seem like you 
it, it just reminded me of like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, you know? Yes. You're just yes. like one more test. I mean, I guess it makes sense because like, oh, I, but it, it's weird. It's like, oh, I just got to be sure. Well, I guess that was a fail safe because he knew corporations were going to come in and not see through that facade. And it's just like, well, you're not. It's, it's like the uh, Indiana Jones, like. Yeah, he chose poorly, which I was surprised that that night wasn't there. But um, I mean, I went with it. I don't think I, I have to admit I didn't see that immediately. But I like that detail of mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, because he picks up the pen. He's like, wait a minute, this isn't right. It's like it's like the final test of just like, oh, this this person, whoever is standing before me, truly is worthy of being here. He's not just some uh, some big big wig corporation that. Che- essentially i don't want to say cheated but cheated their way to get here yeah and like i want someone that actually is worthy of of owning the stock of being here i'm curious to see what would have happened if he actually signed the paper i know, you know? Right? Would, he just, would he have been would he have been zeroed would like that's why i almost yeah. wish like um someone was there. like i wish uh like uh sorrento was in there be like get the hell out of the way kid i'm here first and then he just like explodes you know right. like uh, another indiana jo- like another 80s indiana jones reference oh he chose mm-hmm. poorly yeah. um that, something like that you know or open up the arc and all those guys melting down you wish there would have been something but I, it did seem very willy wonka you know but it's like I, you've won you've I won <laughs> I, I, the the thing that it leads to is you go into and What's amazing is, and you have to, like, this movie has so many conceits you have to give it. And one thing I read in a lot of reviews is like, why would Halliday recreate his childhood bedroom? And I'm like, if the dude can make all this other stuff, of course he would do something like that. You just have to go with that. But what I, what I will give credit for is that Halliday has regrets in his life and he wants whoever controls this now, you know, Wade, in this point to do what you want with it. It's yours. But, don't do what I did. Like you had to basically worship me to get to this point, but I would rather you not be me. And that's, that's a little different from the book, but it's, it's similar tone is that Wade kind of comes to realize that what he had to do to get to this point really wasn't living and he's ready to live his own life now. And that's why I like the, the end when they, you know, they decide, you know, they divided up five ways and yada, yada. And they, keep Ogden Morrow around to tell him what the hell to do for a quarter a year or whatever. Cause he don't need the money and they arrest everybody. There's all that stuff going on and that they shut the Oasis off Tuesdays and Thursdays. Cause you need to go out and smell the flowers. I, my only thing to that is like, wait a minute, the world sucks, man. Like it's easy for a kid, an 18 year old kid who has no responsibility living with this beautiful girl making out on Tuesdays and Thursdays in this big penthouse overlooking the poor people. And then that's the other thing. Exactly. Like they <laughs> shut the economy down for two days, weekdays. And like, that's how people make their living. That's how people like go to school. That's like, this is like, it's not just a video game. It's an integral part. It's like shutting wall street down for two days uh, every week. You're just right. like, you can't do that. You're like decimating the entire world's economy. It's not just like the United States or it's the world's economy is being shut down for two days. So you can go outside and breathe toxic waste. That, and that's like where the, the schmaltz, the Spielberg schmaltz comes in. You're like, mm-hmm. I understand that you want to end your movie on a happy note. And it's, 
and especially from someone of his generation, like put down the games, put down your phones, go live in your, go live your life. I get that. But and, in the context of this movie, it makes zero sense. Well, and I'll tell you, it is a totally Spielberg's fault thing because the book doesn't end like that in the book, Samantha and, and uh, Wade don't meet until the very end in person. They, they don't meet until the very end. And when they do, they kiss. And that's the end of the book. And I kind of so like that. <laughs> I, I like it too. It's a lot better. I mean, you know, because what it does though is, there's never they smashed that to the middle of this movie because they felt like they needed to get that reveal done because that wasn't going to be the end because Spielberg had said like no we're going to schmaltz the end of this I'm sure that's not what he said but somebody <laughs> in a writer's room was like we're schmaltzing the hell out because that's what he's doing I mean that's, that's exactly what they, they've done here and I I don't know I mean on some level it's kind of a sweet ending. But it's almost too sweet. It's too sugary sweet. And the, it's one of the times I'll credit the book being a better than the movie in this case is that that ending is a lot better if they had never met. If she, she could have orchestrated his escape and rescue and all that other stuff. And, and you know, he's met H and all these other people. He could have done all that and not met her until the very end. Like she walks out from behind, you know, a, a you know bus or something like that. And they see each other and they just know like that would have been, it would have been schmaltzy, but I think that would have been more earned than what we got here in the end. Cause in the end, it's almost too good. And, and then I agree with you. Yes. Let's wreck the world economy just because we want to teach people to go back outside. That's not, that doesn't help. Like that didn't fix anything. Did you take your $500 trillion and fix everything? <laughs> I mean, that that's the other question you, you have to ask. Yeah. And it's just weird because the whole movie, like they're showing that people are having these relationships and virtual, like genuine human connection when you, well, I mean, I guess they meet each other, but for the first like half the movie, they don't meet each other in real life. They're just meeting through this game. And I think that is, it's almost, uh, it's validating like what people are doing in real life. Like I mentioned, like I've never had those relationships through like, like video games, like people I've met online randomly and then like clanned up with them and just like started playing with them. I have buddies that have done that. Um, even to the point where, you know, we'll be playing and then they'll come in and they're like, Oh, what's up, Ben? What's up, John? And, uh, when my one buddy got married, they, they couldn't make the wedding, but they made the bachelor party. And that was the first time they met, you know? And that's like, it, it's like, it's interesting. It's very unique because that hasn't happened anywhere else. You know, it's like, it's like the new version of a pen pal, except you're, it's more personalized and, and you actually feel like, you know, these people. And that's where they met for the first time was my buddy's bachelor party. Uh, and, and that was like, so like totally unique that I feel like this movie is like both championing. And then at the very end is like, Nah, turn off your video games, you know, just go, go actually go get a girlfriend, go or go get a boyfriend, you know, actually meet and touch people. And it just, it just feels like such a, a boomer sentimentality. It, it is. It is very much a boomer, like turn off your phone kids. It's what David Fincher does at the end of friggin' Facebook movie too. the social network. It's a Gen X here is like, screw that social media crap, kid, go outside and get a cow <laughs> or whatever. You just stop, stop refreshing your ex-girlfriend's page for her to friend you. You know, I mean, it's, it's the same kind of mentality <clears throat> and it, it I, I don't want to say it ruins the ending. It's just, you just realize like, Oh, that's the ending we're going to get. We're going to use Spielberg Schmaltz number three. It's vintage for 40 <laughs> years, kids. We've done this, so we shouldn't act surprised. We're at the part of the podcast, Mark, where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. Really curious to hear what yours are for Ready Player One. Yeah, I kind of showed my hand a little bit when we first started this conversation like an hour and a half ago. And 
you know, my my first impressions were I I didn't hate the movie, but I didn't love it either. I had very low expectations going in, and it exceeded my expectations. But that's not really hard to do when the bar was so low; it's next to like dinosaur bones. But um, <laughs> but uh, so I it was it, it's a it's a fun movie. I'll give it that. Like the animation looks great. Um, I think it's accessible to a lot of people. Um, it's a very, it's a, again, Spielberg It's very uh, c- contemporary Spear- Spielberg, a very competently made movie. I love all the animation to it. I love that the effects artists are getting credit for what they're doing in the, in, in films like this and projects like this. Um, I think like, this is a film that I think actually is pushing the bounds of animation, you know, something akin to like what avatar did in like 2009 or 10, whenever that came out, like this is like kind of that new style, that new era of animation. And, and and again, like people can animate, people can become animators and make movies like this. You know, they can do it as long as they have a decent uh, setup at their home, they can do this, they can do all of this. And I think that's very empowering. But uh, yeah, that it's that Spielberg, that Spielberg schmaltz and all that other stuff that I was just like I could do without. Um, the references are like, yeah, I guess it's fun. It, it's a fun movie, so I'm gonna give it a medium popcorn. It's a very, it's a very lukewarm recommendation. Like I'll probably return to it, but I'll probably get it on DVD if it's in like a five dollar bin. But I'm not gonna get this on like ultra 4K ultra edition like whatever you know i'm not gonna shell out all that money for it but i'll if it's in a five the ten dollar bin at best buy or walmart yeah sure i'll pick it up i want to say that this is an upgrade of experience from the book as a movie for me except for the ending i do like the ending of the book better but as far as just an experience of going through for me personally i i told you i thought the book was kind of trashy it just really meandered and was just too geeked out on its own references. The movie streamlined all of that and, and it's cast well enough that the characters really cares through. We really talk about like Lena Waithe. She's hilarious as age in this and really carries a lot of the good comedy. Um, and Mendelssohn's great. Olivia cooks brilliant. And Ty Sheridan's a good actor. Like you can tell he knows what he's doing. And so they're likable characters. They're, they're likable actors, even when the characters aren't so relatable or likable and they make dumb decisions um, as they want to do in these kind of movies. The spectacle of it is mind numbing in a lot of ways, because you, like I say, you can get lost in trying to figure out what's that from, what's that from, what's that from. And I think the point is that there's so much up there that everybody can connect to it. The problem is, is that can be really overwhelming sometimes when you're watching this. And in the second act of the movie, until way gets captured it takes a dip like it, it there's a real there's a part of it where it's just not working like in the whole second challenge i agree with you while it's neat to see the homage to the shining it doesn't really make any sense as to why it's there and it, it doesn't really work all of that said as a sum total though it is a fun experience to watch this movie like if you can just sort of sit back and just let it wash over you it's not going to ask you to do a lot. It's going to help you through the whole way. It's going to hold your hand the whole way. And at the end of it, you're going to get exactly what you wanted out of it, even though you saw it coming 20 minutes earlier. And that can be a fun experience you know, along the way. It's not a terribly rewarding one, but sometimes you don't need to watch the third man. You know, you, you need to watch Ready Player One. And, and this movie delivers on that level. I think it got unfairly hated on a little bit. Um, 
in reviews and things because it wasn't up to the quote Spielberg standard. And I'm like, anybody that says that doesn't really pay attention to all the stuff that guy's done. Cause sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's just kind of there. Like it's not every, not every album is friggin' Abbey road, you know, sometimes they're just okay. You know, and this movie is in a lot of ways, mostly okay. And it's, it's a fun watch. And it's one that I go back to, I don't know. I, it'd been, it'd been a year or so since I had seen it. And I'll probably watch it maybe once a year because I'll get in the mood where I'm like, ah, I just want to throw that on and it'll just kind of be big and flashy and fun. And I can do that for two hours and it's fine. So it's totally a medium popcorn, but on the good side of what I would call medium, like, you know, you go to a matinee, you just want a little bit of corn to go with your cheesy movie. And yeah, you got it right there. And it, this movie is is all of that stuff and more. Um, I do know that there's a sequel book. I tried reading it. I got about mm, 50 pages into it and was like, no, this is not, <laughs> this is not an experience. I want to go. I've, I've resigned myself to like, I'm going to wait for it to come out on audiobook and do that and at least try to give it an experience because I was trying to read it. I was like, I just can't. The Klein's prose, I just can't read. Um, it's just not, my mind just doesn't work that way anymore. Um, and, but I know that they're talking about doing a sequel to it. If I'd be curious to see, because I mean, the thing made $580 million, good, good grief. Any studio would go, yes, Steven, you can make a new one or whoever. So Max, whoever he wants to hand it off to, uh, hopefully not Joe Johnson, uh, but uh, you know, no offense, Joe, but I, I don't, I know what the story of ready player two is. And I'm like, boy, that would be a very stark turn. Because again, the movie's so different than the book anyway. I don't know how they would sell us on that. And I don't want to spoil it any more than that for anybody that wants to read it and experience that on your own. But I'd be curious if they could do a sequel out of this. And part of me thinks that that's just studio talk and that it'll never happen. And I kind of don't want it to, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I have absolutely zero clue what, what what's called like Ready Player Two or something. It's called like, Ready Player oh, Two. God, yeah. I already I bet I can already deduce what the plot is or something. <laughs> I just took a shot in the dark of what the sequel was called. But uh, I mean, I, I I'm not gonna lie, I have no interest in reading that. I don't really care. Um, if they do end up making the movie and it comes out, I mean, I, I'll probably see it if you want to do an episode on it but i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna be seeking that out on my own let's put it that way yeah and i'll, I'll have to think long and hard about it i'll be honest with you we'll see if that it comes down the line or not but again mike great to have you here on films tell folks again how they can follow you and how they can keep up with what's going on with amateur art tours yeah of course and yeah thanks again for having me jay it's always a pleasure uh yeah you can follow the show uh on twitter at all tours pod you can listen to the show on itunes uh on on soundcloud i'm sure we're on other stuff but those are the two that i definitely know you can email us uh at the amateur tours podcast at gmail.com yeah it's that's where that's where we are mostly itunes and soundcloud but yeah any any listen any review any like it's definitely appreciated Fantastic. Well, thanks again for being here. And folks, thanks for listening to another episode of Filmstrip. You can find all of the episodes on filmstrippodcast.com. That'll take you to our anchor site where you can find distribution points on iTunes, Spotify, Google, all those places. You can check us out. Leave us a positive review. Share the show. You can follow the show's social media at Filmstrip Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and catch up with the hosts there. And we appreciate your support. So for Mike from Amateur Archers, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to another episode episode of Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. 
You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.